Hashtag Fresh Politrix. Today we're chatting to uh, an old friend. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm actually a fan of his work. Uh, Brooks Spector. Uh, yes, uh, he's a US policy expert and a knower of things. Sure. You know how sometimes we're called clever blacks? He's a clever white. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> Please make some noise for Brooks Spector. Time for Fresh Politics. How are you doing, Brooks? Good morning. Good to be with you. <laughs> that was a heck of an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid to tell my wife, I'll tell you. Listen, I will do your intro when you walk into the house so everybody knows you're home. <laughs> Brooks, for people that are uninitiated, please give us a quick uh, Brooks Spector 101. Who are you? What do you do? Where are you from? Yeah, well, I was, a, I was an American diplomat for 31 years. My, my wife is South African, and when I, we, were, we were assigned here in the early 2000s for the third time. Yes. And we'd gotten married in 1976, so I've been here you know, for years off and on. And she looked at me and she said... Uh, now that you're retiring, uh, you should know my family's been here for 75,000 years. I'm staying. What's your plan? Why did you choose to stay in a shithole country? <laughs> well, <laughs> because she wouldn't leave. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, I don't know about you, but when you, know, when you get told things like that, you sort of salute and say, yeah, well, all right, I guess we're going to do that. Yes. So I, I didn't, you know, we found all kinds of things. To keep busy, we've taught for a number of years in various things and done some research and some writing. Yeah. Uh, I cook more than I used to. Um, and, you know, we have one kid living in Cape Town and one kid living in Washington. And so we're, uh, we're sort of caught between the two countries. And ever since the Daily Maverick started, I've been associated with that, too. Yes. Let's cook a bit of Trump right now. <laughs> Why would Trump want to even, I guess, deflect by tweeting about us. Yeah, well, no, that was a heck of a... That was, what, about 10 days ago or so. Uh, I was sound asleep. I got a phone call from some television station at 6.30 in the morning saying, you'll never guess what Donald Trump just just tweeted about. And I said... And I woke up slowly and said, no, I'm afraid to guess. And uh, it was the infamous tweet about uh, the... uh, the land issue about yes. uh, white farmers being butchered and their families being slaughtered and the farms being seized and that he wanted the U.S. government to do something about it. And, the you know, the real problem is, as, as we've written in a number of places and talked about, is that this really wasn't about South Africa at all. I mean, I can't imagine Donald Trump spends much time thinking about South Africa. Mm. Uh, I mean, he doesn't think about Africa generally, except to say unpleasant things about the continent or make up countries. Yes. Uh, you know, my favorite country of Nambia. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> indeed. Remember, couldn't find it on a map, but it was obviously important to him. Um, but the real problem, sadly, uh, embarrassingly, you know, appallingly, was that he was really talking to that core of people mm. who constitute his supporters uh, trying to peddle after he'd watched something on Fox News, which had been informed by a scholar at a right-wing think tank, which uh, who had been influenced by everybody's good friend here, uh, Afroforum, uh, about this appalling tr- um, uh, tragedy that was unfolding uh, that hadn't happened yet. Uh, and he's writing, that is Donald Trump, he's writing this tweet 
to talk to his core supporters about, and I'm trying to phrase what the, the Donald Trump's thinking, not my own, obviously, uh, that there is this impending Holocaust against white people by all the brown and black people of the world, whether they're in the U.S. or South Africa or uh, Sweden or various other places, and that this is just one more terrible example of that that cataclysm that's happening. And it, you, you can imagine that what went through the minds of the people in the U.S. Embassy uh, in Pretoria who now have to go in and speak to the foreign minister of South Africa to try to explain this, uh, saying, well, um, er, yeah, I guess. Uh, we didn't write that, and we've been pretty busy at writing reports that explain the policies and the issues and the complexities. He just doesn't, doesn't bother to read them mm. because yes. he's not interested in them. He has that other point to make. Yes, indeed. Do you think generally Americans care about what happens on the continent, what happens in South Africa? Well, I mean, the problem is you, that there's no way to say Americans generally on Africa. Yes. Uh, if you were talking about uh, uh, South Africa in, say, 1989 or 1990 or even 91, 92, you could reasonably say that most America, most Americans were favorably disposed toward the changes that were happening, were favorably disposed to the new leadership that was coming into power, mm. and had an optimistic feeling about how things would turn out, rather than the the possibility, uh, well-informed, ill-informed, non-informed, that there might be, you know, terrible, terrible stuff about to unfold here. Um, but there's no one American anymore, I think, who spends enormous amounts of time thinking about South Africa. Yes. It's far away. It's in the news only sporadically. It's become, um, in the words of a friend of mine, just another normal country. Yes, mm. yes. And that's, you know, that's good in one sense. I mean, you know, it, it's far better than being a place where there's a civil war. Uh, but it means that it has less and less of a special hold yes. on people Although, if you were to go to, um, oh, anywhere in the country almost, and just sort of poke at people and say, uh, have you heard of Nelson Mandela? Most people would say yes. Um, have, you know, do you know what the word apartheid means? They, they might say yes. Mm. Uh, if you said gold. Uh, but that might be the limit for most people now, because yeah. attention has shifted away from this kind of change to... Uh, domestic politics. Uh, it's a big country. Things, get, you know, people get consumed by their own universe, and their own universe now uh, is almost entirely the domestic politics of the the chaos that Donald Trump's constant charges yeah. and accusations are helping to create. 8.16, this is Fresh Breakfast on Metro FM. We're talking fresh politics with Brooke Spector, U.S. policy expert. Brooks, my thing was that when the leader of the free world tweets something like that, doesn't it legitimize uh, racial groups such as Afroforum 
to the rest of the world because they may not have had a platform to showcase their kinds of or their breed of politics. But when he does something like that, obviously legitimizes their cause of this white genocide that they've been trying to peddle to the rest of the world. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, and, and you know, it's a sad outcome of that kind of thing um, because people in the United States, well, people anywhere, are, are sort of predisposed to believe the truth, more or less, of what a national leader says about someplace else. You know, I mean, you, you're not ordinarily organized to say, he's the president, he must be lying. Mm. Mm. And or he's the president. He must be making this stuff up entirely. Uh, you're, you're you're sort of organized around the idea that he's the leader. He he knows more than we do, and he's he's helping us understand the universe. And uh, all you know, the experience to the contrary that Donald Trump consistently makes up things or presents things that are warped and 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 twisted is not an easy thing for many people to you know. To accept, mm. um, but in this particular case, it certainly in this. I mean, I got all kinds of mail and calls and comments from people who, you know, who were convinced that that was now U.S. policy, mm. U.S. the U.S. view on the country, and that any moment now the Marines would be landing to set things right by mm. their lights, uh, and you know that was a that was a really dreadful and unpleasant outcome of a 140-word message. Um, and, you know, the, the mind boggles at, at, at this kind of thing. The Washington Post, it's a respected newspaper. It doesn't like Donald Trump very much. Um, they keep a running tally of the number of mistruths, uh, falsehoods, uh, made-up stories, and outright lies that, that, that they can track in his presidential statements and uh, tweets and official texts. And, you know, by their count, since he became president, something like 4,500 of these things. Jeez. Uh, you know, which is a lot of, you know, your nose gets real long when you tell 4,500 lies. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, too many people are now just acceptant of mm. the idea that, well, he's the president, we can't really expect to believe what he says, or... He understands the inner truth of things, even if the specifics are wrong. And there's also a lot of people who wouldn't necessarily say they like Donald Trump and what he stands for in South <coughs> Africa, but they were very much sympathetic to the tweet because they fear that it would jeopardize things like AGOA. Well, I mean, uh, you know, AGOA sort of crept into this conversation in a, in a strange kind of way. And for you know, for your listeners, let's you know, in, in the thirty-second version of AGOA, it's a U.S. law that was first passed fifteen years ago or so uh, that made duty-free, that is, tariff-free entry of goods made in Africa. In well, I think it's thirty-six of the countries in Africa uh, able to send those goods to the United States without there being charged duties or tariffs mm. on them, uh, which. If you're making something uh, and you want to export it, that gives you enough of an advantage that it makes it worth the trouble. Mm. And and for South Africa, that, that depending on how you count this, that's worth a, somewhere between a, a billion and a half and two billion dollars a year worth of exports. 
and somewhere north of 75,000 jobs that might not otherwise be there. And those are not pick and shovel jobs. Those are, you know, those are good jobs in uh, manufacturing and food processing and uh, making things other than digging up rocks out of the ground and putting them in a ship. Um, and for one of the provisions in the law that sets up the African Growth and Opportunity Act is that uh, you know there would be the country's concern would follow their law. There'd be the rule of law. Let's be a little clearer here, mm-hmm. and that private property would be the rights of ownership of private property would be protected. So people, some people were making the conclusion, the conclusion out of all of that, that if the farm Armageddon is happening, that's the end of private property, which means that South Africa becomes a, in violation of AGOA and loses its export privileges to the U.S., and there go the jobs, and there go the earning, and it serves them right. Mm. And mm. that's, you know, that's not absolutely off the radar screen my argument's always been hey if the law is being followed and if the law and the processes are clear and apply equally that would be within the limits of the agoa law Mm. uh and then somebody else has said, well, then there'll be sanctions against South Africa because there have been sanctions against Russia and Turkey. And I go, well, that's, that's a long, long way down the road before we get to that point. So that I wouldn't worry about. But the larger picture of how this country figures out how to deal with the land question obviously is important to everybody here. Uh, I mean, my own, you know, it, it, just to make it real pointed, uh, years and years ago, we were down in, in the Cape, and uh, we drove past a house uh, that my wife's, I think it was great-grandfather, had, had built. Uh, and the, the, the point of the story is that that was a house that they lost in the 1950s because of all the laws that, that pertained at the time. And so there are lots of people who feel that way, who have lands that they used to own or that their clan or family or traditional group may have owned 100, 200 years ago. Mm. Um, And there's obviously some sense that it's taken a while. It's now past time to get this sorted out. And the pressure's building. And if events like those things that were uh, sort of, that were thought were happening, actually do happen, that will feed that narrative that uh, that the Trump tweet was talking to, and that yeah. would be unfortunate, too. Brooks, uh, in closing, yeah. will he finish his term? Will he get a second term? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, everybody was wrong about him winning the first term. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, including me. I was wrong. You know, dear. Um, you know, if they find something in all of these investigations that really does point uh, to uh, improprieties in finance, be, his financial behavior, his taxes, his relationships with the Russians, uh, relationship of his campaign to the Russians, if something like that really comes to light, he may not finish that first term. And if he doesn't finish the first term, obviously he's not going to get a second one. 
but he, this guy is a is a gut fighter of, of prodigious proportions, yeah. as we've all watched. And uh, if the Democrats win in the midterm election, which comes up in what three months, uh, if they win the House of Representatives or the Senate, or even conceivably both of those two houses in the American Congress, the Parliament. Um, it's going to be a rough road for him for the yeah. next two years, that's for sure. Uh, you want, to, want me to put a prediction on this? No second term, but finish the first one. All right, let's see uh, if uh, it indeed goes from your voice to God's ears. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Thank you very much, Brooke Spector, U.S. policy expert on Metro FM. This is Hashtag Fresh Politrix.